Alright, everybody, welcome to the June 6th edition of Cascadian Views. Uh, the country is on fire, and everything is terrible. I've got Dan and Chris with me. Howdy. Hi. Yeah. Um, I, I guess we'll start with the, the lighter news, if we could say that, although it would be pretty big at really any other time. But we now have a Democratic nominee. Yes. Big shock. Yeah, I was going to say, we seem very excited about that. <laughs> he's he's the socks for Christmas candidate. That's that's Biden. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you want a good pair of socks. I don't know if anybody wanted this, but they're getting a, a good pair of socks. Some people did, I guess. <laughs> Here we I, are, though. I've definitely asked for, like, underwear for Christmas, and they've been disappointed when I didn't get it. So, you um, know, it happened. I asked hey. everybody I knew for a belt for my birthday. One person got me a belt. It was my girlfriend. I was extremely happy. Uh, yeah, Biden crossed the measure earlier this week. Uh, came a few days after the election, so I'm not sure if it was like final tallies from that or if he picked up some delegates somewhere. Uh, but as far as I know, it wasn't actually tied to like the day of an election. Am I correct in that? I think some of that was just some late reporting states apportioning more and more delegates as their ballots came in, was at least my understanding of it. Because I think a bunch of these states, like Pennsylvania and a few others, were like, we're not deciding anything the first day. We're going to let more come in. Pennsylvania actually uh, still has not completed voting. They got yeah. an extra week for vote-by-mail stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah. I missed yeah. that. Yeah, so any, any results you see from them are not at all complete. Uh, the state gave people who vote by mail an extra week beyond Election Day to, to get it in. Election Day was just for the in-person voting. So yeah. what you're saying is if Bernie got $900, <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> you'd still take it. Yep. Uh, CNN had him crossing the threshold uh, yesterday, early, early in the morning at like 1 a.m. NBC had him crossing the night before. I, I was a little bit, I, I didn't understand the difference. I guess one of them uses AP and one of them uses, I think, Decision Desk HQ is the other like election uh, data provider for the news organizations. Hmm. Uh, I, I might have that backwards. I think that's how that goes. Uh, but yeah, so maybe we have a nominee. Hmm. We had some good Senate results from that Super Tuesday contest, too. Um, our, our guy in Montana, Bullock, is now officially our nominee. He seems, well, to actually be making that race a race, which is not something I would have thought to have heard. Yeah. We got a, a pretty solid candidate in Iowa as well, from what I saw. Yeah, I particularly like that one because it's just good to – the more states where you weren't entirely sure who it would be, who we now know, we could properly turn our efforts to actually electing them. Uh, New Mexico is now guaranteed, by the way, to have an all-female congressional delegation uh, as yeah. next year. Yes. Um, there are female uh, sitting and nominated candidates uh, for the Democratic spot in all the heavily Democratic districts. Uh, the one that is a toss-up, the Republicans have now nominated a woman to run against, uh, I can't 
pronounce her name for the life of me, but uh, Miss Torres, Representative Torres. Right. Um, if she wins, actually, New Mexico will have a 100% woman of color delegation. If the Republican nominee, Dennis Torres, wins, it will be an all-female uh, delegation. We should not tell the president. <laughs> yeah. Um, there are still some races to come, but things are getting mostly settled. Uh, I guess like Kentucky doesn't have their primary until September or something like that. I think that's what I'm thinking of. Uh, we don't know if McGrath is going to be challenging, uh, McConnell until way late in the summer. I think there's a few like that. Like, uh, Massachusetts is another one that actually has their primary in in September, and you know the primary, of course, is the only thing that's going to matter there because it's either going to be you know Kennedy or Markey. But yeah, I mean, we hope it'll be Kennedy or Markey. They have flirted with sending Republicans to to Congress before Scott Brown won that election there. Right. I mean, I I don't think they've got a big Republican running. Uh, let me take a look. I, they have a hard time in a presidential year. Uh, yeah. Hillary Clinton won every single county. Massachusetts, but in governor, they are more likely to elect a Republican than not, it seems. Yeah. Yeah. Deval Patrick's really the only exception to that, I think, going back to the 90s. Yeah. And then you've, uh, you know, after Ted Kennedy died, you get Scott Brown swooping mm -hmm. that seat. Uh, I mean, there was a lot of other things floating about with that, but it was a moment. I'm okay. Of uh, the. Republican primary, at least in Massachusetts for the Senate this year, is a garbage fire. It looks like there's a a conspiracy theorist. Uh, let's see here, Clay, who claims he invented email, uh, and then oh wait, like that, that dude! I know that yes. dude from Twitter. Oh hey, well yeah, he he's running. Super active, telling everybody he invented email when he didn't really invent email. <laughs> Wait, he didn't really invent email? No, not even close. He has a patent for, like, a system of sending electronic messages that comes from, like, ten years after the email standard was defined. Well, there you go. Yeah, I, I had no idea he was a Republican or political. I thought he just yelled at people about email. He <laughs> ran as an independent in 2018 against Elizabeth Warren. But... Yeah, and then I guess there is a uh, Ray Tomlinson, right? Is the Republican they, attorney who does Shiba not appear to hold any office. Uh, yeah, is email guy, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, I remember this whole big thing like ten years ago about this, and he's still at it, telling people. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure it's either going to be Kennedy or Markey. <laughs> yeah. I. Uh, I there was a little bit of drama over the primary, even like going to it uh, because of the coronavirus. There was going to be problems collecting signatures for like both candidates. And they just stipulated to the, uh, the state party that both of them accepted that Kennedy would have met the 15 percent threshold to be nominated and that Markey would have cleared the like 50 percent threshold to get the party's endorsement. Uh, in the hmm. primary, and they just agreed to that without anybody having to go out and actually collect anything. 
If that could happen across party lines, that would really be something. Well, I mean, I don't... It doesn't matter for any of them, really. I mean, Markey could have fought to keep Kennedy off the primary ballot, but I don't think he would have succeeded. And Kennedy could have fought to keep the party from endorsing Markey, but the guy's been in the Senate for forever. It's just kind of taken as a given. Both of them agreeing to that doesn't really cost anything in the primary it's basically set up exactly how they assumed it would be they weren't lying when they stipulated that it is probably pretty much the like 100 percent guaranteed outcome of that process they just didn't want to put anybody in danger with the coronavirus yeah well which is what i admire about it just uh, like let's not okay there's no reason for us to so let's not yeah we're both going to get the signatures required to be in the primary and i've been around long enough that everybody likes me so let's just get this done. Let's both agree on that. Yeah. Uh, and I guess this will lead us into our main story of the week. And actually, I realized I have a local twist for this uh, that we'll get to at the end that I forgot to put in the, the topic uh, thread. But uh, nationwide protests have not slowed down. If anything, gotten larger. We're on our 10th day of protest now. Um, we had the military deployed in several cities around the U.S. They're now mostly pulled back, uh, except for the National Guard, uh, which governors have activated. Uh, but active duty military was extracted from D.C. today, yesterday, at, at some point in the last 24 hours. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It feels in a way like things are winding down, except the protests are just getting bigger. Uh, the The resistance to them has, has really diminished. Most parts of society are, are broadly on board with this. I mean, 78% of Americans had a positive view of the protesters. And 58% of Americans said that it was totally justified that they burnt down the third precinct in Minneapolis. <laughs> wow. Fifty-eight percent said they were totally cool with burning down a police station. <laughs> that number blew my mind. Yeah, that's not what I would expect at all. But you know, I, I, it's I good that like people are understanding. <laughs> and maybe the fact—it's uh, hard to tell without knowing the timing of the poll—but that the police have spent a lot of the past week randomly hitting people who were walking down the street, pulling people out of cars for no reason. Just like everything they could do to swing opinion against them. It is ridiculous how much police brutality is out there. I mean, it has become the story in in everything. The the media covering this has basically moved on from the, the looting to these vivid videos of police absolutely cracking heads, pulling people's masks down so that they can pepper spray them in the face. I'm firing tear gas grenades into people's fucking noggins. It is ridiculous. It's like the police watched the rioters and said, that's not a riot. Do you want to see a riot? Let's go, boys. It's it's disgusting. And some of them are starting to be held accountable. There was a just incredible uh, two-angle videos of uh, police in Buffalo shoving a 75-year-old man to the ground, cracking his head open, and he's laying there bleeding out of his ear. One of the cops stops to try and help him, and the other cop pulls him up and tells him to keep going. March right over the guy. 
He's, uh, he's in the hospital. Serious but stable condition. Uh, those officers, because they were charged with the crime, the entire emergency response team for the city of Buffalo Police Department quit their jobs. Not their entire jobs, just their jobs in the emergency response team. They're still cops. Uh, right. And then I, I posted a, a video today. The, the cops had their first uh, court appearance where they were charged with uh, second-degree assault. And as they walked out of the courthouse, the police force was there to give them a standing ovation. It is ridiculous. It's a declaration of war against the citizenry. It's just really bizarre to me. Just an absolute refusal to be held accountable for even, even the worst behavior, you know? The uh, the police union uh, for New York, the New York, uh, actually the police union for New York sergeants, the sergeants benevolent uh, organization, doxed the uh, the daughter of Bellasio for participating in the uh, the uh, the protest, leaked her arrest report with all of her personal information on their Twitter feed. Twitter shut down their account for two days over it, suspended them. Wow. wow. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, they actually were the ones who said that they were there was a war on New York now, in in their own words. I mean, I'm not sugarcoating anything the cops are saying. I'm just laying it out there. They are engaging in a war on the population, uh, and it's it almost makes me glad to see some of the military out there. As far as we know, none of the more egregious incidents have been done by the military. It's been the National Guard and police. Yeah. Uh, which, there's a whole thing about deploying the military, by the way. There's there's like layers upon layers upon layers of that story. We just found out today, uh, CBS has reporting that on Monday, Trump was ordering 10,000 troops deployed in cities across the country. Um, and General Mike Milley, the uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, Secretary of Defense Mike Esper talking down out of it, uh, down to, I, I think it was 2,000 troops in D.C. only, and most of them wouldn't be on the front lines. Uh, and then Trump gives his press conference where he talks about them being heavily armed, and all of a sudden Esper has to get rifles into the hands of people and shit out there. Uh, and then Esper orders troops back to their bases, 700 of them, which is like a good half of the force that they deployed. Trump berates him in an Oval Office meeting. He cancels that order, orders them to remain there. And then after uh, General Mattis, former General Mattis, uh, writes that op-ed, uh, Esper finds a spine and orders all troops in D.C. back to their home bases, uh, which makes me think he's not going to have a job very soon, but we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Millie also, or my, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. I apologize about that. Uh, he also wrote a, a letter to the unit commanders of troops deploying in DC domestically that at least I read as being a not so subtle job, uh, like reminder to do their job and not go on any extracurricular activities if they start getting political orders that are 
at odds with their oath, don't follow them. Yeah, yeah, and there was that, that section. Like, uh, maybe I'm being too, you know, polite to the letter, but I, I think that's a fair reading, right? That is exactly how I wrote it. And, and there were a couple of letters that came out in that vein, and it was really extraordinary to me. It's almost, it's like uh, Trump may have missed the part where before you declare martial law, you actually make sure that the generals are behind you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so he was trying to do the, uh, set the groundwork for declaring martial law. <laughs> Meanwhile, they were all saying, no, don't do that <laughs> to their troops. The, um, the military times solicited opinions from 33 active duty members in the military uh, across the four branches of the military times group services. They published the army times, the Navy times, the air force times, the Marine Corps times. So across those four branches, they submitted opinions from 33 active duty soldiers. 30 of them were incredibly opposed to any domestic deployment of us troops whatsoever. This is yeah. not, really i think a fight that they want to pick and just in terms of you know humanizing some of this which may or may not be appropriate i don't know if they start opening fire on us i'm gonna feel pretty stupid next week uh but there was video that i saw of a, a black soldier in the national guard not the army deployed in atlanta uh standing on the front lines and these crowds of protesters who were chanting i'm black and i'm proud and you could watch him mouthing it under his helmet, like slowly, quietly to himself. He was chanting along with them and mm. gave me a little bit of hope, a little bit of hope in a very, very dark week where I feel the bounds of our constitutional government were tested in a way that they had not been tested before. Yeah. Uh, the, the local, uh, kind of flavor on this I wanted to to put in there. Up in Dan, your neck of the woods, although a little bit south of you, on the Olympic Peninsula, in oh, the yeah. town of Forks, Washington, uh, most famous previously for being the home of sparkly vampires in the Twilight Saga, mm -hmm. uh, has a just nutcase 3% uh, gun store owner who decided that a multiracial family of four coming camping in their converted school bus uh, was right. an Antifa bus uh, coming in to, you know, cause some shit, not only gathered, like, half this fucking town to come, like, wave weapons menacingly at these people in a grocery store parking lot, but after they had got to their camp spot, cut down the trees around the camp spot to block the road and force their bus to remain at this camp spot. Uh, Olympia, Olympia, Washington police got involved. The, the town government is conducting an investigation into some of their officers. The, the state of Washington might get involved. The mayor's son was involved in this mob that was cutting down trees and, and threatening these people at the grocery store, all because a family of four wanted to go camping and weren't all white. Yeah, it just goes to show the extent to which the hysteria has been whipped up about, I mean, 
an organization that's not actually an organization, just kind of loosely affiliated people who all, you know, want to give themselves the label anti-fascist. You know, it's not, there's no national Antifa with any kind of, you know, coordinated goals or anything like that. It's just... No chapters, no leader, no directory, nothing. Right. Well, there right. are definitely chapters. Like we have Rose City Antifa here in, in mm-hmm. Portland, but they're not they're not in any sort of structure. They're just a group of people who get around and don't like fascism. They don't yeah. there's no like Antifa commander. I mean <laughs> I replaced my bio in Facebook this week with anti fascist. I didn't apply for membership. Nobody approved me. <laughs> Did I you get through the initiation on Facebook? Yeah, yeah. I had to kill three cops with my own teeth just to get in. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> uh, Portland last night uh, went a little bit crazy. Uh, Portland police joined the nationwide riot for the first time in quite a while. They've actually been good boys uh, for about a week now, uh, and then last night just more tear gas than I think this city used through all of 2016 and we had literally weekly riots uh, the the protesters brought down part of the fence the, in Portland the cops have fenced off a bunch of downtown uh, like four blocks square and they they put up a giant fence a security perimeter around it it protects the justice department uh, the city courthouse a bunch of other things uh, the fence has its own Twitter account, the Portland fence. <laughs> um, it's become kind of uh, a local celebrity. It's this fence that the police treat as a holy object. And if you get anywhere close to it, that's bad news. Not allowed to be near the fence, not allowed to touch the fence. They'll start, you know, getting pretty angsty <laughs> if you even look at the fence wrong. So after the protest uh, downtown, after it disbands and the official like group and march and whatnot go home, uh, people, sometimes a couple thousand people at a time, have been coming down to just stand about five feet away from the fence. Some of them, you know, tied donuts to a string and a stick and tried to fish for cops over the fence and stuff. There's, you know, dance parties going on and, and stuff. Last night, people started taking some uh, barricades from sidewalks and blocking off the street in front of the, uh, the fence so that people couldn't come get at them with, like, the LRADs, the, the sound weapons that are truck mounted and whatnot, pulled down a couple sections of fence and oh my god it became Fallujah downtown at like 12.30 last night the entire downtown core was blanketed in tear gas, there were uh, not flashbangs, but stun grenades were used, uh, which I think might be close to the same thing, but also have like pellets in them to hit you uh, not just like the the explosion and the noise to blind you and deafen you, but they also have like a bunch of plastic uh, like bearings in there that'll sting you too when they explode. Uh, just went absolutely apeshit. Uh, and this was uh, less than 24 hours after uh, Mayor Ted Wheeler announced that he was going to be uh, instituting a 30-day freeze on the use of tear gas as, as soon as he could. Seems like they wanted to use up their supply before that hit, if it hits. Uh, he's also now, after last night, he's now pledged that uh, the, the LRAD is being retired. The, the sound cannon uh, that they use to debilitate protesters is not going to be used anymore. So... Who knows, but it, it was 
It was worse than it had been in quite a while uh, in Portland last night. That's something. Yeah, and and they're just they're declaring the entire downtown area closed when that happens. Like journalist doesn't matter. Downtown's closed. Everybody's got to get out. They'll they'll push you out. Sometimes they'll push you out on the wrong side of downtown if you live on the east side on the other side of the river. Uh, no way to get through to get home and and stuff. It. Yeah, it's it's not great. I've actually been I had been impressed with the Portland police for for quite a while. Uh, they overreacted for the first couple of days, uh, but they they had really toned it down. They'd really seemed to be listening. And then last night, just because their precious fence was knocked over, two sections of it, two two individual like chunks of fence that you would buy from a hardware store were pulled down, and it was open warfare. Oh, we also had the Proud Boys last night, too. They came into town. Oh, always a good time. <laughs> yeah, they, they'd mostly been dicking around down in uh, Salem for the last week. They had been terrorizing people in Salem during the protest and, you know, shoving people into alcoves and interrogating them about their connections to Antifa and stuff. Uh, now they've made it back to Portland. I guess they must have got bored with the Willamette Valley. Not much to do down there. I here there might be an okay law school or something though yeah well that is what joey said he was going to do yeah that honest to god i've been in portland for for like six years now everybody i've met from salem either got out or was only there to to go to the law school like half the lawyers in portland went to school in salem that's all anybody talks about. I've been to Salem once. It was to cash in a fifteen hundred dollar lottery ticket. I won. Yeah, having lived in Salem for three years, yeah, that's about my memory of it as well. Yeah, it, <laughs> it's, it's a place to be from one between things. <laughs> yeah, it's where state government is. Uh, so I guess that's why the lawyers gravitate there. But it's it's lawyers and kids who aren't old enough to get out yet. <laughs> that, uh -huh. that is pretty much my my sense of Salem. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, anything else you guys want to talk about? Anything from the protest I didn't mention that you want to focus on? Um, well, there are the uh, mystery security forces in Washington, D.C. That was one of the more disturbing things that happened this past week. Yeah. Uh, not didn't find where they are, no badges. Uh, today they even were deployed without uniforms. Um, just, just all black. You have no idea which ones are real cops and which ones are like proud boys showing up with an AR-15 on their shoulder. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's brown shirts, man. It is, it is Hitler's brown shirts. That is what we are seeing. We are seeing nebulous security forces that you hear about in like civil unrest in other countries where there's no clear command structure and they're like paramilitaries barely tied to the ruler and whatnot. That's what we have now. That is what we have in America. That's suitably alarming. Yeah, I, I'm a pretty fucking normie Democrat. And you know what? All cops are bastards. I have fully switched into that this week. Not that every cop is like a terrible person, but the police departments and the police forces we we now have because of 
plan design and because of silence from people inside who could do something only reinforce structures of white power that that is their main function in society and we're not going to fix anything like that until we you know really grasp the core the uh the scale of the problem and that is regardless of how any individual officer feels the police department fundamentally serves white interest I don't disagree. I, yeah. I found myself becoming incredibly radicalized over the past 10 days. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm a guy who, what, throughout this entire primary, just wish Bernie Sanders would hand to my heart, shut the fuck up, and sit down. Please. It's all you've got to do. It would make everything so much better. But you know what? No, I'm, I'm radical now, Chris. I have, I have watched the security forces of this country declare open warfare on its population. Abolish the police. Fucking abolish the police. We can build something, some replacement, uh, you know, from the ground up after this. Something that takes care of the actual needs society has for some sort of security without any connection whatsoever to this fucked up system we have now. Take it down to the ground and build it again. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Let's start all over. Um, on that note, actually, let, let's talk about this for a second because there are some police reform uh, ideas floating around. Democrats are unveiling theirs on Monday. Uh, the press has already seen a draft. There's a lot of, of stuff in there. Uh, yeah. Mosh has not only announced but introduced his bill. His bill is much simpler than the Democrats' one. Uh, it just abolishes uh, qualified immunity entirely. If you're a cop, you can be sued for your actions, uh, and let's get to work on that. I I think that's good. I don't think that's the best it could be. Like I said, I want to start all over. Start from the fucking beginning. Uh, the Democrats' plan does not uh, go quite so far with qualified immunity. It does scale it back. It greatly eliminates when it could be used. Uh, but it doesn't eliminate it entirely. In fact, it writes it into law for, I believe, the first time ever. It was a, a court-created doctrine uh, before this. Uh, but mm -hmm. in return for scaling, for uh, not completely removing qualified immunity, the Democrats' plan does a lot more. Uh, it creates a national clearinghouse of uh, police complaints, police abuse complaints, uh, that all forces across the country will consult with, uh, would allow police officers to have a, a quote-unquote permanent record that's actually permanent, whereas any you know police department can look into that data and see exactly what sorts of complaints these uh, people have. Uh, it, it does a nationwide ban on chokeholds, um, which have been a thorn of contention for quite a long time, but also is only just one tactic, so I'd like to see that go a little bit farther. Uh, see what else was in that anybody remember more about that should i just look it up those are the highlights i, I recall from it uh, oh it includes the anti-lynching stuff that um harrison booker tried to get through a standalone bill but uh paul <laughs> so 
so it'll it'll change the federal standard uh, on qualified immunity from what the courts have shown now. Uh, the court implemented this, I believe, in the late 70s, early 80s, uh, or at least fully fleshed it out at that point. And unless there is clear and like explicitly laid out uh, in constitutional actions that were declared such in that jurisdiction, the cop can't be sued. So unless there is a case from your like appeal circuit that is exactly down to the letter what you did, as long as that does not exist, you can do whatever the fuck you want, no matter how obviously unconstitutional it is, and you're immune as a police officer. You were just doing your job. Uh, the Democrats will instead uh, codify that into law and turn it to a knowingly or with reckless disregard. It doesn't have to be you know, obvious and from that jurisdiction. It just has to either be something you should know is unconstitutional or you are acting with reckless disregard of what's constitutional. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a better standard, but I don't know. I So I have mixed feelings on this. I, I've said before, I don't want cops to try and be constitutional scholars. They're unlikely to be very good at it. It takes a very long time to really understand the, the precedent and the legislative history and the thinking behind this. Um, they're not trained for it. They're not cut out for it. You go to school for a decade to, to be this. They they have lawyers and police chiefs who should be implementing training that complies with this. I feel uh, as long as you are complying with your training and, and like procedures from your police department, if it's found to be unconstitutional, you, the individual cop, are immune. But your department head, your police chief, uh, has full liability for every action. Like, if they implemented the training, we should be able to go after them 100%. Uh, And if what you were doing was on your own, if it was something not covered by department training and you just decided to do it, then you should have absolutely zero immunity. Sue the shit out of that individual cop. Otherwise, sue the shit uh, and send to jail the the police chief. Uh, That would be my solution. Every, no action is, is immune there will always be a, a responsible party for that, uh, that action under that plan. I feel mm-hmm. That's kind of my ideal solution, but that may be entirely unworkable and I'm dreaming. So I don't know. Yeah. I think it is interesting that their bill doesn't go as far as his does. On the other hand, they probably want to actually pass theirs. Yeah. <laughs> right. Whereas- and to be fair, there's, does a lot more than Amash's. Amash's does not Amash. Amash does not uh, address any of the underlying systemic issues. Basically, he eliminates qualified immunity as a way for society to address those issues. Like, if you eliminate qualified immunity, you can then start prosecuting cops, start making systemic changes, whereas the Democratic plan is much more a way to implement those systemic changes themselves. You know, with the National Clearinghouse, with policy changes, those sorts of things. It's a much more cohesive unit of a plan, even if it doesn't go as far as a MASH does on qualified immunity. I also think it's very illustrative of the libertarian view to the solution <laughs> compared to the democratic one, the, the holistic approach, where it you know everything ties together into a policy package that like feeds into right. itself. 
versus the libertarian policy of uh, don't shield the cops and let the free market do its work. No. Right. I don't like a mash very much, but that plan actually does seem very much a mash. Just all over it. Uh, it doesn't actually, you know, it's the, uh, what does that judge, uh, Dan, that you used to talk about, who would pay lip service to, like, uh, anti-gay discrimination, but wouldn't actually allow anybody to do anything about it? I'm thinking that was Justice Kennedy. Was it? Mainly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You, you had a, a whole, I remember you had, like, a 20-minute rant almost <laughs> about a, a Supreme Court judge. It was in the, the Colorado Bakery case. About yes. how, no shit, you recognize, you know, a right to be free of discrimination as a gay man, but you give them absolutely zero tools to be able to protect that right. No way to enforce it. No way to actually have the state be in any way involved in the safeguarding of that right. Yes, yeah, exactly. I, I feel that's very much the Amash pro approach to police culture here. Like, we're not going to do anything to change it, but if it happens to you, now you can, like, spend a lot of money on lawyers and uh, go after them. Yep. Uh, all right. Um, oh, and the other thing that was in that bill that I forgot to mention was that uh, it gives the Justice Department Civil Rights Division subpoena power in and of itself uh, so that it can issue subpoenas to police departments investigating police misconduct as a civil rights matter. Which is, I think, a, a good step for Democrats. I like that. I, I do yeah. wish they'd go farther with qualified immunity. Um, but they put together a good package. It'll be interesting to see the launch on Monday. Uh, I think we might get something. A lot of Republicans are, are siding at some level of the protest. A lot of them. Uh, more than I would have expected. And that gives me hope something can come through Congress. I actually think there might be a good chance at real police reform out of this. I don't know if Trump will sign it, but I do think the Senate... Senate could probably pass something, which I don't feel about a lot of topics these days. But on this one, I do think the Senate could probably pass something. Mm -hmm. uh, there's there's a lot of people on the right who have been increasingly uncomfortable with the amount of like military hardware going to to police, uh, and it's a way to really you know express that without having to directly vote like against troops or whatnot that they use gives them a lot of cover uh maybe i'm being optimistic but i think we could see something here i hope so i i like that optimism <laughs> there really aren't many issues where you could even ones that republicans formerly championed That was a car. That was a car? I thought you were seriously about to get mauled by Cujo. <laughs> no, that was that was your um, typical muscle car being driven in the mountains at night for no reason. Gotta have that. Little West Virginia. Little West Virginia in Vermont. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, hopefully we have more to talk about next week. I'm... I'm getting a little I'm getting a little worried about how everything is devolving into like 
one topic at a time. Uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It seems to be a pattern of escalation that I don't know if we as a society can really withstand. Like, between the coronavirus, which completely consumed the, the news ecosystem, because we were all scared of fucking dying. Like, the entire country was under a stay-at-home order. Uh, there was literally a virus out there to trying to kill every one of us. Still is, by the way. Cases are spiking in, like, Florida right now. Uh, but that was all we could focus on. And then there was, you know, what amounts to an attempted domestic invasion. And it's all we're, we're talking about. That and the police department brutality that, you know, sparked the whole protest. Uh, George Floyd, you know, being murdered by Minneapolis police because of his black skin. Uh, and there, nothing else is happening. It is all that. These things keep getting more and more intense to the point where I don't know if we can keep it up to the election. Like, at some point, it feels like something's just going to break. But I, I, I mean, that's sort of my ongoing fear. <laughs> it's, it's like one of those things where, you know, you're like, where you're really low on gas, but you think, I can probably make it to the gas station, <laughs> but you're not totally convinced. Right. That's what the next. That's what the next five months feel like to me. Like, can we make it to this election? You know, get Trump out and get responsible government back in place. But is there still going to be any country left by the time that happens? By the time January twenty first of next year comes around. I'm sorry. Yeah. Worry about that. And what happens during the lame duck period? That terrifies me too. Yeah. Like he's he's bound to. Go bonkers, I would think, but I don't know. Maybe some self-preservation will kick in and he'll try and find a way that he can resign before the end of his term so Pence can pardon him. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's Remember unsettling. That's, that's an open question. Whether or not the president can pardon himself is very much open. Uh, Slate took the temperature of a bunch of constitutional scholars a few years ago. Uh, like second year of the, the Trump term. And the general consensus was that uh, they couldn't pardon themselves, but that they would have basically unlimited uh, powers outside of that. They could pardon for, uh, you know, events that have yet to happen. They could pardon for, you know, just any person, any crimes that they've ever committed in their life up to that point. It goes broad and wide, but yeah. I think if he wanted one for himself, he'd have to get out and have Pence do it. Yeah. All right. Well, have a good week, guys. I hope we're still here next week. <laughs> Me too. I too. say that a lot these days. I say that yeah, exactly. just about yeah. every episode these days. Mm -hmm. All, All right. right, guys. Later.